Please say the return. How many of you guys like the banner behind me? Didn't the, didn't, didn't the uh, media team do a great job putting that together? You're going to see that uh, over these next few weeks. If you have your Bible uh, with you, look over to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 13 through 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses uh, 13 through 18, and I encourage you to keep your pad, your pencil ready, keep it at your hand, because you're going to need to write down a ton of scriptures. I'm going to actually read a lot of scriptures today, but I'm going to give you a ton of scriptures that you're going to need to take home with you, and you're going to need to look up in your Bible or on your digital device because I really want you to get the word in your spirit. You see, remember we talked a few weeks ago in a totally different series that what I believe is what I will live by in my life. Okay? And see, this is one of those things uh, when we talk about the return, when we talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ, this is one of those doctrines that needs to be settled within our life. Because the Bible says in the end times, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And how many of y'all know there's already a whole lot of shaking going on in our world? I mean, established principles and systems are under attack that lend to the foundation of our world and civilization and even government as we know it that are being shaken right now. Spiritually, our world is being shaken. Challenges are arising to the body of Christ and to legitimate principles of biblical interpretation, not from without, but from within. Well, let me say it again. The attack upon the body of Christ today, now more often than not, is not coming from the world. It's coming from within. Anywhere Satan can stir up division and strife, he can stir up issues of rebellion that are going to lead us astray and take us away from God. So now even more so than ever before, I believe that we need to get God's word down in our heart and down in our life so that we can live by it so that we can be made courageous by it, so that we can be hopeful by it, and so that we can be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in what God has set before us. That like the Apostle Paul, whether I have little or whether I have much, God has always been faithful, and God always will. Let's read this out loud together. Come on and join me. Everybody ready? Read. Brothers and sisters. Now, wait. This is the Apostle Paul, okay? This is the Apostle Paul. So Paul's writing here to the church at Thessalonica, to the believers. Let's read. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, Father, I pray that you would add your blessing to the reading and the hearing of these words. And Lord, as we launch out into this brand new series called The Return, Lord, we believe you're coming back. But let us be even more settled by the time we get through this series and by the time we get through at this hour. Lord, let us be, God, both challenged and settled in our faith like never before that we are looking for your appearing in Jesus' name. And again, everybody said amen. Amen. Now, outside of the doctrine of the rapture, everybody say the rapture. Anybody ever heard of the rapture? Wave at me. Right? 
Most of us have. Outside of the doctrine of the rapture, which is actually the first event in the return of Christ. Now stay with me because I'm probably going to paint this for you uh, a little bit different. Okay, I'm coming from a little bit of a different angle. Because when I look at the return of Jesus Christ, I see that in three phases. Okay? And I think sometimes we get two events mixed up. And possibly three events. The thing the body of Christ and Bible scholars are certain about is that Jesus is coming back. Right? The challenge within the body itself is when is the church going to be jettisoned out of here or raptured out of here? Is it pre-trib, is it mid-trib, or is it post-trib? So prayerfully today, I'm going to help you to be able to rightly divide the word and to help you understand what Scripture says about those particular events. But outside the doctrine of the rapture, which is actually that first event of the return of Christ, it is the doctrine of the second coming of Christ that has historically been one that is near and dear to the hearts of believers and the saints everywhere and of all ages. The second coming, somebody say the second coming. So see what we did there? We got the rapture and now we got the second coming. And a lot of times people say, well, I thought they were the same. Well, they kind of are, but they're not. Okay? The second coming should not be confused with the event referred to in our text today that Paul was talking about to the church at first, the, the, the first letter that he wrote to the church at Thessalonica in chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, where he said, look, I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. You see happening, things going on around you. He said, he said to the church there, he said, look, it's going to happen. Jesus is coming back. There's going to come a day. There's going to come a day when the Lord himself is going to descend from heaven with a shout. And the trump of God is going to blow and sound. And the voice of the archangel is going to declare his appearing. Then those who are dead in Christ... The graves are going to pop open and people are going to meet him in the air that have been dead for centuries. Who have died in the faith... And this is all going to happen in the twinkling of an eye, one one hundredth of a second. And then those of us who are remaining and those of us who are looking for his appearing, just as soon as those who are dead in Christ rise and meet him in the air, guess what? We're going to be raptured out also. We're going to be changed just that quick. See, the rapture refers to the time when Jesus Christ will come to remove all believers from the earth. All those who believe. So if you got a believer flying an airplane, guess what? And you're on that plane, you better pray. Somebody else can fly that plane. Automobiles are going to crash. There is going to be disaster like the world has never seen. You say, well, surely, Pastor Eddie, that would get somebody's attention. Let me tell you something. There's stuff that's going on in our world today that our governments are not telling us the truth about. And we're buying it hook, line, and sinker. Are there shortages or are there not? Are they happening or are they being manufactured? Because certain people want you to buy certain products. Look, I'm not a conspiracy theory person or conspiracy theorist, I guess. But you got to admit, there's a lot of strange stuff going on around our world. And countries have fought wars for much less. The Bible says it this way. There comes a time when we need to wake up out of our slumber. Because the day is far spent and the night's fixing to come when no man's going to be able to do anything. So we've got to awake. We've got to be awakened. We've got to wake up to the season and the time that we live in. The Bible said no man's going to know the hour, the day, or the time that Jesus is going to come back. But... 
we can know the season. And ladies and gentlemen, biblically and scripturally, we are in the season of his appearing, of his coming. The rapture is when he appears in the clouds. And there is a shout and there is a declaration and there is a trumpet sound and boom, boom, boom. We're out of here if we are believers. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then those of us who remain are going to be caught up. The Latin word for that is harpazo, raptured into delight, brought into his presence, and there we will ever be with the Lord. That's important. The second coming of Christ actually has two aspects or two parts. That's what I was talking about before. The first is what we know as the rapture. The second part of the second coming is when Jesus Christ will physically come back and reign for a thousand years. Okay? The word rapture. Somebody say rapture. Rapture isn't found in Scripture. And if you guys have been around me for a long time, y'all know I love eschatology. You know what eschatology is? Eschatology is the study and, and, the, and the pronouncement or the preaching of end time. Of biblical end time prophecy. Or of the end of the world. So, so I've been doing this a long time. The very first message I ever preached at a youth rally years ago was out of the book of Daniel and it was about the end times. It was about end time Bible prophecy. And I was so wet behind the ears, I probably preached 95% of it wrong. Because I didn't understand it fully. But a lot of times people will push you into things that you have no business doing because they're excited for you. And sometimes it's hard after that to get your equilibrium back. So adults, we need to be careful what we do because it really is a wonder that that didn't mess me up. But that was on my heart then and it still is on my heart today. The second coming of, of, of Jesus is when Jesus Christ will physically come back and reign for a thousand years. The word rapture isn't found in scripture. And that's why many people discount this whole part of the aspect of Jesus' return. But while the English word isn't found, it is there along with the concept. What's important to understand is that the word comes from the Greek word Paul used for caught up and then the, the Latin word which is harpazo, which is the word I mentioned a moment ago, caught up into the light. Okay? You remember over in Revelations chapter 3 at the end of the chapter? There's a shift, there's a change. It begins in chapter 4 where John speaks of being caught up into heaven. He's just finished talking about the seven churches, the seven churches of Asia Minor, and then all of a sudden, boom, there's a shift. Somebody say a shift. And so John gives us a biblical picture of being raptured or caught up or brought from the earth into heavenly places where he then begins to unfold for us the things that God shows him about the end times. And when I talk about end times, I'm not talking to you about these things to try, to try to scare you out of hell. Even though if that's what it's going to take, I will oblige you. But what we see as believers and Christians in the end times is literally God's master performance. This is a master plan that God has had all of this time. That's the reason you'll hear me talk a lot of times about all this stuff going on. Don't let it shake you. Don't let it shake you. Global warming, it's going to happen. The Bible said it long ago. It's going to happen. We're going to see things. We're going to see wolf moons and blood moons and chicken moons and dog moons. and We're going to see all this stuff. We're going to see the planets lining up. We're going to see all of these things happen. Why? It's in the Bible. There's going to be an asteroid that's going to hit the earth. You thought that was just television. Where did they get the idea? The Bible says it's going to happen. Now the timing of the issue is a whole other story. Right? 
What's important for us to understand. See, when the Bible was translated into Latin, the word they used was raptus. Somebody say raptus. Which is where we get the English word rapture from. The word expresses... I love the description of this word, all right? The word raptus or rapture in the Latin, here's, here's the definition. Y'all going to love this. It, it, the word expresses suddenness, all right? You're going to like that. You're not going to like this next word, though. Really, when you break it down, it's sudden. It's and violence. A snatching away, as it were. In the Greek, when you translate it, it means to steal, carry off, to snatch away by forth with no resistance offered. In other words, when Jesus comes, if you are his child, you need to be ready. You better be ready. Because he ain't going to come with a clipboard trying to interview you and see if you want to go with him. When he shows up, there's going to be a shift and there's going to be a change. This mortal is going to put on immortality. This corruptible is going to put on incorruptible. Oh, y'all ain't going to help me today. But there is going to be a change. That's why we're told over and over in Scripture that we need to be ready. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you better be ready. Look at him and say, if you ain't ready, you better get ready. Now, the teaching of the rapture is found in many places throughout the Bible, but the place where it is best described is found in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, and most of the time you hear this read at a graveside at a funeral. Right? It's amazing in the church we'll use stuff like this at a funeral at the graveside, but many times we won't preach on it in the church because we're afraid it's going to confuse people or it's going it's to scare them. Well, you've been scared before. It says, behold, Paul. Don't you love Paul? Paul said, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trump will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Somebody shout changed. So you think you've been changed now by the blood of Jesus Christ. Honey, you're going to be changed then. <laughs> now, as part of the second coming of Christ, the rapture, listen to me, the rapture of the church will come, I believe, set forth in Scripture. At a, it will come at, at prior to the time when Jesus steps down on this earth, and that's because all believers will meet him in the air. Therefore, like the second coming, no one knows the day or the hour that the rapture will take place. He's going to come like a thief in the night. There's going to be two in the field and one's going to be taken. There's going to be two working at Walmart and one's going to be gone. Husband and wife going to be laying in bed. One's right with God, one ain't. The one that's right is going to be gone. Women, women are going to be pregnant. Life begins at conception as we believe that baby is going to be perfectly innocent. See, we have such dichotomies in our society. We will call a, a baby even up to the point of birthing and say it's okay to do an abortion and we'll treat the, that, that baby as a, as a clump, a mass of cells, even, even to late-term abortions. But we'll still charge somebody with murder if he kills the mama and the baby and all they need there is just to prove that that woman was pregnant isn't there such a dichotomy in our society today there's such duplicity in us there's such a, a, a such we, the Bible says it this way that it, we're so double minded the scripture says that if we are double minded we're going to be unstable in all of our ways no wonder our world is so shaken right now and we're so unstable in everything we do And most of the time, how many will admit, we get it backwards. Because God, when he does what he does, is going to be diabolically opposed to what I think because there's a difference between the spirit and the flesh. The flesh will always serve itself. The spirit will always lead you to serve God.
So it's believed that the rapture will occur just before the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period. Anybody ever heard of tribulation? And see, this is why I put these three events together whenever I teach on the end times because they are, in, 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 in my biblical view, they are synonymous. They're, they're separate from each other because they're different, but yet one begins the process of the other two. All right? And so I want us to get this right in our, our, our timeline. I believe that the rapture is going to recur just before the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period. Now, the rapture does not signify the beginning of the tribulation period. What does, according to the book of Daniel, and I'll teach this later on in the series, is that there is going to come a ruler on a white horse. And everybody said, oh, that's Jesus. That's it. No, 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 no. No, no, no. He's coming, and he's coming on a white horse. But this ruler is going to show up according to Daniel. And remember, Daniel couldn't tell us everything God showed him. Daniel was told, you better, you better bind up the rest of this book. But see, Daniel saw, I believe, everything that was going to happen. But he saw this rider on a white horse. He's going to come riding in, and he's going to have a bow without an arrow. He doesn't have an arrow to shoot in the bow. So this is representative of the Antichrist which, by the way, I do believe is alive and well today, being groomed and prepared. I don't know that Satan has fully entered into him yet or he even knows his purpose or his identity, but I believe he's being groomed. And I do know that there's a time when Satan's going to fully come in and take possession and control. Oh, we've had glimpses of him down through history. The Hitlers. The Mussolinis. Oh, we've had all kind of Hitlers. All kind of dictators that have given us a glimpse of what possibly the Antichrist would look like, but we ain't seen nothing yet. But he's going to come as an orator. He's going to come as a politician. He's going to show up and he's going to bring peace to a world filled with war and division and strife. He's not going to come and conquer the world with weapons. He's going to come and conquer the world with a sweet tongue. And people are going to lay down, countries and nations are going to lay down their weapons. And they're going to buy into this plan of this one world unified. So usually in a situation like that, the one that comes up with the plan sees himself in control and in charge of everything. And that's going to be no different in Scripture. And then after the seven years, so the, the, but the tribulation starts, but most scholars believe when, when, according to Daniel, the tribulation period starts when the treaty is signed with the Antichrist, with all these nations. That is when the signature is made for the inks dried, the seven-year tribulation period, three-and-a-half tribulation, three-and-a-half great tribulation starts. Most scholars believe that the rapture of the church will probably be before that because, or a little bit before that, because the world is going to be in chaos. You think about millions of people missing. You think about millions and millions and millions of people gone. People running through the streets, looking for their children. Accidents. How is the world going to clean up all that mess? What are governments going to tell their people to calm the unrest? Have I got your attention? Hmm? So most scholars believe biblically and scripturally the rapture will happen, the world will be in chaos, the world will need a savior. In rides the Antichrist. When the treaty is signed with the nations of the world to everything shifting back toward the Middle East. You see, in America, we think that we're the center of the universe. Not with God. Israel, his chosen people, the Jewish people, are the center of his attention. The prophetic clock revolves around Israel. Always has, always will. We think we're we a bag of chips and a moon pie and everything else. No, we've been grafted into the vine, and thank God for that. We're part of Abraham's Gentile lineage. But let me tell you something. God is going to fight for his children. God will fight for his chosen people. 
right? So it's after the seven years of tribulation. So the rapture comes sometime before the tribulation or immediately prior to in conjunction with this treaty being signed for the Antichrist to kind of bring peace out of chaos to the world. The tribulation period starts. It lasts seven years. There'll be three and a half years. That's when hailstones the size of 120 pounds are going to fall. Can your roof hold a 120-pound hailstone moving at hundreds of miles an hour? I don't think mine can. I mean, how are you going to get out of the way of that bus coming? The sun's going to get so hot that boils are going to develop on people's skin. People are going to cry out to die. People are going to throw themselves off buildings. But there's going to come a time during that seven-year tribulation, it don't matter how many times you throw yourself off a building, you ain't going to be able to die. You're going to look like a hot mess, but you ain't going to be able to die. I'm just telling y'all what the Word says. I'm not making this up. This is not some science fiction you're going to see on the science fiction network. It's going to happen. Brother's going to rise against brother. Father's against son. There is going to be war. As God pours out his judgment, his wrath upon those who rejected him. So the dead, in, the, the, those who died before the rapture, Remember, it's only the believers and the ones who died in Christ at the rapture who get raptured out. So those who, who died not in Christ, those who died without knowing God, they still, they still slumbered. They're still in the grave. And all this stuff is happening. During the seven-year tribulation period, it's after the seven years of tribulation that Jesus will come again and step down upon the Mount of Olives and redeem all of Israel to himself as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then he's going to set up his millennial or a thousand-year reign, which is seen in Revelation chapter 19 and chapter 20. And this is, is, is when the second coming of Christ. He is at the end of that tribulation period when it looks like the, the Antichrist army has gathered at a place in, in Israel called the Valley of Megiddo. It's called Armageddon. And all the armies of the world under the Antichrist control are going to come to finally destroy Israel. And just before that happens, Jesus is going to physically come back and set foot on the same place he left from, from the Mount of Olives. And when he sets foot on the Mount of Olives, that thing's going to split open. That mountain's going to split open. And he's going to walk into Jerusalem. And the enemy is going to be running on the walls. They're going to be rifling the houses. They're going to be doing that. And Jesus is going to show up. And the Jewish people are going to recognize him then as the one that they denied and the one that they rejected and the one that they crucified. And when they turn their heart to him, there is going to be a revival that hits the Jewish people and the Jewish nation. And Jesus is going to fight for them and overcome the Antichrist. He's going to destroy the Antichrist army. And he's going to bind that serpent, the devil. And he's going to see him cast into the pit prophet Ezekiel speaks of this saying and in the last days his feet will stand on the mount of olives which faces Jerusalem on the east and the mountain of olives will split in two from the east to the west and the Lord shall be the king over all the earth in that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name one that's Zechariah chapter 14 verse 4 and then part of verse 9 you see in the Bible over 300 prophecies told of Jesus coming the first time somebody say 300 300 prophecies told of Jesus coming the first time. Bible scholars, listen to me, have identified 1,845, Ginger, 1,845 different Bible references to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Over 300 told of his first coming. 1,845 have told of his second coming. 
in the New Testament alone, Bobby, 23 out of the 27 letters or books in the New Testament speak of Jesus coming again. Seven out of every 10 chapters in the New Testament and one out of every 30 verses tell us that Jesus Christ is coming again. References to Jesus' second coming outnumber six to one. Somebody say six to one. References to Jesus' second coming outnumber the references of his first coming six to one. The second coming of Jesus Christ is the hope of believers that God is in control of all things and is faithful to the promises and the prophecies in his word. In the first in his first coming Jesus was the suffering servant. In his second coming Jesus is going to be the conquering king. In his first coming, Jesus arrived in the most humble of circumstances. In the second coming, Jesus will arrive with the armies of heaven at his side. You see, when we are raptured up with him at the beginning of the tribulation period, there's going to be what is called the Bema judgment seat of Christ. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we are going to be rewarded and we're going to be ranked and we're going to be placed in order in the family of God, in the army of God. Then when Jesus at the end of the seven year tribulation period, when he comes back, we're going to come back with him riding some, some horses. We're going to show up with him in the cloud. We ain't going to have to fight. He's going to fight the battle. But then when he establishes earthly kingdom, guess who's going to rule and reign with him? You and I are going to rule and reign with Jesus for a thousand years on this earth. Oh, y'all ain't going to help me. Y'all ain't going to help me today. The second coming is the event when Jesus Christ returns to the earth to defeat the devil and establish his reign of justice and peace, and it's going to last a thousand years. Hmm? Now listen to me clearly. All unfulfilled prophecy in the Word of God is bound up, connected with the personal bodily visible return of the Lord Jesus Christ everything that we see in scripture every unfulfilled prophecy now in the Bible in scripture is connected in some way with his bodily physical return to set foot on the earth see at the rapture he's coming in the clouds but when he comes back, he's coming back physically to set foot. And things are going to shift like never before. And in this series, and I think one of the reasons God moved on my heart to begin and to share this series for just such a time as this, we're going to consider the urgent question of 2 Peter chapter 3. Verses 3 and 4. This, this question that I'm talking about is the question of the scoffers. But we're going to ask it earnestly and reverently. And as we do so, we're going to be impressed, I believe, with the weight and the volume of testimony from God's Word, from Scripture, that gives us the certainty of our Lord Jesus Christ's return. It's important. Look at somebody and say, this is important. It's important for us, I believe, Pastor R.B., to look at the context of which this question was found in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. We're going to read something in a moment, and, and that something is we're to know and be sure about. And it's something that relates particularly to the last days. Somebody say the last days. The closing days of the dispensation of grace or the church age. The period immediately prior to the Lord's return, which... What's going to happen is when the church leaves out, guess what? That's going to be the end of the church age when the tribulation period begins. Okay? 2 Peter chapter 3. Y'all got it on your, on your devices? You're looking at the screen? Let's read this out loud together. Let's read it. Ready, read. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Hold it just a minute. Y'all... Y'all remember what I keep telling you? What is the DNA of sin? Pride and selfishness. Okay? So these scoffers show up, and what are they doing? They do what scoffers do. They're scoffing. But why are they? See, the Bible will tell you this stuff. You just got to read it. 
following their own sinful desires. Let's pick it up in verse 4. They will say, read it out loud with me, they will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They will scoff. Hey, church folk. Hey, sister. Hey, brother. Hey, good church people. If he's coming, what are you waiting on? He said it was coming back. Why ain't he showed up? Huh? Can I give you the short answer? Beside it not being time yet. The short answer, I believe, is this. Because he's not willing that any should be lost or perish. But that as many as possible would come to his knowledge and to come to faith. That's where I believe we're at today. We're on what I call borrowed time. Because I believe the reason Jesus hasn't come back for his church. I believe the reason the church has not been raptured yet is that there's still some time. Because our God is long-suffering. And so here's the key. Even Jesus doesn't know when. Only God. Only God knows when this is going to happen. And the Bible here tells us, Nolan, that we are to expect there to be scoffers in the last days. So when we see people scoffing, making fun of what we would call blaspheming God, shaking their fist, you know, a lot of times today people will do that in the guise of joking and, and making, you know, comedians will do things and Hollywood will do things. Scoffing at God, making fun of Christians, scoffing at believers, scoffing at Jesus, doing, doing stuff uh, through the arts, through the medium of the arts. That, that Oh, everybody would just laugh. Everybody, no, no, the Bible says that, that, that we're to expect scoffers in the last days. Why? Because everyone who scoffs at the glorious truth of the return of Jesus Christ is fulfilling this prophecy in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. How do we know today this prophecy, this scripture, this word is being fulfilled even as we live and breathe is because we know there are scoffers. More today, I believe, per capita than at any other time in history. There are even scoffers in the body of Christ. There are, there are a lot of people in the body of Christ who do not believe, sitting on church pews, who do not believe that this is the unadulterated, unequivocal word of God. There, there are people sitting on church pews today that don't believe that a loving God would send somebody to hell. Well, let me remind you, a loving God wouldn't send you to hell. You send yourself. You punch that on ticket. You, you punch your own ticket. Because you make choices and decisions. God says, look, I'm a God of life. I put life and death before you. Choose life. God says, I'm for you. I'm not against you. Hello? Peter tells us exactly what the scoffers say. But, but let us answer this question for ourselves today as I get ready to wrap this thing up. Here, here's, here's the question. Where is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise of his coming? Let's answer it for ourselves. Here we go. Y'all ready? Got your 90 mile an hour hairspray on? Because we got a short time. We got a long way to go and a short time to get there. Number one, let's talk about where is the promise of his coming. First of all, the promise of his coming is found in the Old Testament. There are 39 books in the Old Testament. These books, these 39 books can be divided into the five books of Moses called the Pentateuch. That's Genesis to Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. The book of the Mosaic Law, the Law of Moses. Twelve historical books, Joshua to Esther. Six books of poetry, 
Yeah, poetry. Job to the Song of Solomon and Lamentations. And then the 16 books of the major and the minor prophets, Isaiah to Malachi. And listen, the prophecies of Isaiah to Malachi in particular are full of the promise of his coming. These prophecies are not fulfilled at his first coming when he came as a baby, when he was laid in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, born of a virgin. These were not fulfilled at his first coming or his first event, but they await fulfillment when he comes again. Look at somebody and say, he is coming back. And concerning everything we read in Scripture, even the books of the Old Testament, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And then in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, it says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but God spoke but man spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now listen, in our world today, we got a lot of people talking about manifesting. We got a lot of people talking, that ain't nothing but witchcraft and voodoo. And hoodoo, I'll throw that in there. People talk about, look, there is such a thing as a manifest presence of God. But you can think about something long enough. You can think, 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 think all you want. You can get up and say, I'm going to manifest this. I'm going to manifest this. I'm going to manifest this. No, listen to what the word just says. For no prophecy was ever fulfilled, was ever produced by the will of man. You can will what you want to will. Come on, somebody. But just because you try to manifest it doesn't mean you're going to be able to manifest it. You better get your eyes back on God and you better find out what he has for your life and what he wants. You better surrender yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ and you better be willing to deny yourself so that he can exalt you and raise you up. If you will humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, my Bible says that God will exalt you in due season. At the right time, at the right moment, God will make a way for you. Even though it looks like other people may be getting ahead of you, maybe running on down the track. You just keep your eyes on the Lord, baby. You get yourself sanctified. You come out from among the world and shake the dust off of the world from your feet and you cleave unto God and you come to him as a little child and he will take care of you. Old Testament scripture indicates that the promised one will appear and be cut off and then reappear in victory. Notice, Old Testament scripture said he's going to come, they're going to kill him, and then he's going to come back again in victory this time. Huh? Many Old Testament prophecies foretell the ultimate triumph of Christ that will occur at his second coming. And these include statements from the book of Zechariah, Amos, Jeremiah, and Joel which describe that Messiah physically coming back to the earth in triumph to lead Israel unto salvation. Look at your neighbor and say, Neighbor, God loves you. God loves us. But it ain't all about you and it ain't all about us. God's after his children. God's after his chosen people. Now the phrase day of the Lord. Somebody say day of the Lord. The phrase day of the Lord is found in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament and is a key reference to the second coming of Christ. It's found in Isaiah chapter 2 verse 12, Isaiah chapter 13 verses 6 and verse 9. It's found in Jeremiah chapter 46 verse 10. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 30 verses 3 and verse 18. It's found in Joel chapter 1 verse 15, Joel chapter 2 verse 1, Joel chapter 31 verses 3 and 14. It's found in Amos chapter 5 verses 18, 19, and 20. It's found in Obadiah chapter 1. Actually, there's no chapter. It's just verse 15. It's found in Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 7 and in verses 14 and 15. It is found in Zephaniah. Zechariah chapter 14 verse 1 it is found in Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 honey it is throughout the word of God the Bible said there is going to come a day of the Lord when Jesus Christ himself is going to set foot back on this earth and if you don't believe it you better believe it but if you believe it you better get ready honey because he is coming soon 
in Genesis. I ain't through. I got a hush here in a minute. But in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, God is dealing with Satan. He is dealing with the devil. And God says to Satan, he says to the devil, he said, you will strike his... God says, I got a plan. Devil, you thought you messed everything up. But God says, I'm still God and I got a plan. And he says to the devil, he said, from now on, you're going to slither on your belly. You sack of... He said, he, he said, he said, you going to... He said, I'm going to I'm gonna raise up an answer. I'm going to raise up a plan. And he said, you're going to strike his heel. And it refers to the first coming of Jesus. And it was fulfilled at Calvary. He said, you're going to pierce his heel. You're going to strike his heel. Where our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified. Where they took him and they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross of Calvary. And they pressed the crown of thorns upon his head. And they thrust the spear in his side. God says to Satan, said, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna pierce his heel. You're going to strike his heel. And then, but then he said, he, the seed of the woman, the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, Satan, let me tell you, you're going to thank you one, you're going to think it's over with, but let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to raise him up and he's going to crush your head. Oh, come on, somebody. He said, he said, devil, you're going to pierce his, you're going to think you took him out and you're going to think you killed him, but guess what? He's coming back again and I'm going to raise him up and he's going to crush your head. That refers to the second coming and to our Lord Jesus Christ's final overthrow of Satan at the end of the thousand year reign when God rolls everything back and we appear with him is called the great white throne judgment. You know why? That's not because everybody there going to be white people. It's called the white throne judgment because all of those who are with him when he comes back who are going to have their vestures. Though they were dirty and though they were scarlet, now they have been washed and made white as snow. And we're going to be with him at his return. Oh, I wish somebody would shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Somebody give God some praise today if you're looking for his appearance. I'm sorry, I just jumped at least a thousand and seven years. But Zechariah chapter 14, verse 1 predicts that on that day, somebody say, On that day. Look at your name and say, Neighbor, that day's coming. Zechariah says on that day his feet, Jesus' feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives will split in two from the east to the west forming a great valley and with half of the mountain moving north and half of the mountain moving south. Can I tell you all this? Jesus don't need no CGI. Jesus don't need no digital graphic effects. Jesus don't need no overlay. <laughs> He's God all by himself. And when he gets ready to show up and he gets ready, he don't need no effects, baby. He is the effect we're looking for. That day is another reference for the day of the Lord. And the one who stands on the mountain is Jesus Christ himself. Somebody shout Jesus. I said somebody shout Jesus. Those of you at home shout Jesus. The prophet Daniel described the second coming of Jesus as one of his dreams. He said in Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14, he said, in my vision at night. He said, I had a night vision. That's a dream. Look at somebody say, that's a dream. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence, and he was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Come on, somebody. Jesus said that God has given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, because he was willing to humble himself because he was willing to sacrifice himself because he was willing to take your place in my place on the cross of Calvary fulfilling the plan and the purpose of God that you and I would not be lost but that we would be a part of not only the present but the future with God because Jesus did not make himself of any reputation but he humbled himself under the mighty hand of God he said now God has given me a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every Every tongue would confess. Oh, somebody shout the name Jesus. Oh, I could go on and on and on, but I, just, I don't know about y'all, but it amazes me how full, 
how full the Old Testament is of the second coming of the Lord. But not only that, the promise of His coming, guess what? Is found in the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I see right now, this is probably all I'm going to give you all today. In the four Gospels, see the promise of His coming. Look at somebody, look at John David and say, there's not only the Old Testament, there's a promise of His coming in the Gospels. In the four Gospels, we have the inspired, authoritative record of the words of Jesus Christ. Over and over again, He spoke of His second coming. Let's look at the following. Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 and 13 says, And at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, but five were wise. The foolish one took their lamps, but didn't take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in their jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy, and they fell asleep. And at midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. See, the Bible says, Let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. There's always people who don't want to pay the price for their own oil. But they sure will want your oil. Oh, I can't preach that right now, but that will preach. Make a note to self. Need to go back and preach that. No, they replied. It may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him, who had the oil and had the wicks trimmed to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch. This is the admonition. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the hour or the day when the bridegroom comes. Mark 13, 24 through 27 says, But in those days following that distress, talking about the Great Depression, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars are going to fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and, and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. In Luke chapter 21, verses 25, 26, 27, and 28, the record says there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and the tossing of the sea. The sea represents the nation and the peoples of the world who are diabolically opposed to God. People will faint from terror apprehensive of what is coming on the world for the heavenly bodies will be shaken and at that time they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. When these signs begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing nigh. In John chapter 14 verses 1 through 3, listen particularly to the words of Jesus. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me also. In the Father's house, there are many mansions. There are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And when I go and prepare a place for you, here it is right here. He said, I will come again. Look at your name and say, he's coming back. He's coming back. And I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Many of the clear statements of Jesus throughout his earthly ministry as well as many of his parables, we have the promise of his coming. There are 318 prophecies about Jesus' second coming in the New Testament alone. In the New Testament alone. 318. But I believe most of all, even though the promise of his coming is in the Old Testament, the promise of his coming is in 
the Gospels. The promise of His coming is in the epistles. The promise of His coming is in our celebration of the Lord's Supper. Every time we take communion, we remember what He did. But we also look forward to His return because He said He's coming back. But I believe also, and I'm going to give you this last one, and, and I'm going I'm I'm to sit down. But I believe, I believe most of all in the hearts of every believer, the promise of His coming is found in the heart of every true believer. Every true believer. That was actually point seven. Now it's your point three. Revelation chapter 10 verse, excuse me, Revelation chapter 19 verse 10 as I, as I close this thing out today. John the revelator says, and I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See that you do it not. Talking about the angel that was showing him all these things. For I am thy fellow servant. See, don't get caught up in worshiping angels. A lot of people have made a religion out of that. Don't worship the angel. Worship the one who created us both. He said, I'm a fellow servant. And of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What is, the, what is the testimony of Jesus which we as believers have within us? In this particular instance here in, in, in Revelations chapter 19 verse 10. I believe in this particular instance and connection it's the promise of his coming again. Because I believe in this hour in which we live that if you are a true believer, if you really are a child of God and nobody knows except you and God if you really have surrendered your life to Him completely. But if you know, you know. If you know, you know. I believe in the heart and the life of every true believer, every true child of God. There is something in us now that is stirring in this season. Remember, we don't know the day or the hour. We don't know the exact time. But we'll know the season. We'll know the season of His appearing. And I believe that every true believer in the hour that we live in right now, there's something inside of us that is stirring and moving. And we find ourselves looking up. We find ourselves thinking thoughts about His return that maybe we've never thought before. We may have even found ourselves praying a prayer declaring, even so, come Jesus. And the Holy Spirit places in our hearts the assurance and the expectation of His near return. And it causes us to cry out the very exact prayer that we're told in the book of the Apocalypse, the book of Revelation. We call it the Apocalypse because it's about in times, but actually what it's really about is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Him showing us exactly who He is and what He's able to do. But over in chapter 20, I think it's verse 20. Jesus says, this is what you need to pray. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And then He tells us what we need to say. We need to say, Amen. 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 Even so, come. Lord Jesus you realize that is the worship song the praise team led us in today even so come Lord Jesus Revelations 22 20 Jesus is coming back he's about to return and so the question is he made the promise he's going to do it How many believe it? How many all over this house do you believe it? Do you believe His promise?
Okay, so here's the question. How many of you online believe his promise? Wave at me. So here's the question. Are you ready? Are you ready? Because there's a difference between believing something and being ready for it. Are you ready? Because see, with everything I can tell in Scripture, there's not another single Bible prophecy that has to be fulfilled. And I'm not the only one. There are much smarter people than me that I've heard make this this, this same statement. When it concerns eschatology and the end times, um, there's not another Bible prophecy, Charlene, that has to be fulfilled before Jesus can come back, before he comes in the clouds. And here's the thing. As the church of Jesus Christ, we need to understand this whole concept and idea of his second coming. We need to know the rapture, the tribulation, and then he's going to come back and he's going to set foot on the earth. And he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. And he's going to destroy those that are trying to destroy Israel. There's going to be a lot of heartache and a lot of trouble in that seven-year period between those two events. The great news for the church of Jesus Christ and for those who hear the word of the Lord today is you don't have to be around for the seven years of tribulation. We can be ready when he just comes in the clouds. I don't know about you. (laughs) I'm going in the first load. I'm going in the first load. But are you ready? Are your lamps ready? They must be if, if we are to receive Jesus, the bridegroom, when he comes. And I'm referring back to the gospel. Because earlier we read how Jesus told the parable of those ten young women who, 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 who kindled lamps in expectation for the bridegroom that was rumored to be on his way. And as you know, some were foolish and, and they thought they would get by without a whole lot of oil because they thought he was going to come sooner than later. And the wise ones took some extra oil in anticipation for the longer wait. But they expect inevitably the bridegroom got delayed which resulted in the lamps of the foolish women going out while the wise kept ready. Which count do you fall into today? Which count do you fall into today? There are only two. There's the foolish and there's the wise. They both heard the rumors. They both heard the rumors. The bridegroom's coming. We've been hearing. We've been hearing Jesus is coming. Something inside of us is saying His coming is soon but only one group took the extra care in getting ready the Bible says that Jesus is going to come in the, in the day at the time of his appearing the Bible says the world's going to be in the, the same predicament as it was in the day of Noah people are going to be going about their life they're going to be marrying and giving in marriage they're going to be partying and just trying to build their own kingdom and they're not even going to want to think about God Isn't that a description of the world that we live in today for the most part? But he's going to come as a thief in the night. So we need to be, we need to watch and we need to be ready. And if Jesus is coming again and we believe that, then we need to encourage other believers. We need to encourage other people. Encouraging and building each other up in faith, not tearing each other down. Not seeking to... uh, uh, divide but seeking to unite in faith not divide we we need to be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ the good news we need to be warning the loss that Jesus is coming back we 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 should be living with expectancy our life should be different than the world we should be about kingdom business not in everybody else's business we really believe that Jesus is coming soon then we should be ready to go we should be ready to go Jesus said in Matthew the last scripture I give you Matthew 25 verse 13 therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour keep your oil full keep your wick trimmed stay full of the Holy Spirit 
Keep your flesh in check. Circumcise from your life. Cut away from your life the things of this world that bind you and that ensnare you and entangle you. And if you have been set free from those things, then be not again entangled in that same bondage, but walk in the liberty and the freedom wherewith Christ has set you free. But what about you? What about you? Are you ready? Are you really ready? Because Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. His appearing now is much, much sooner than it ever has been before. I want everybody in this house to bow your heads. Open your heart. Those of you online, do the same thing right where you're at. Only those that are assisting me are moving. Everybody else just locking in right now to the word that you have heard, to the, to the word of the Lord that you have received today that God has spoken within your ears. Whether you are in person or whether you're online right now, I've got a simple question. Are you ready? Jesus is coming. Are you ready? Or are there things in your life? Are there, are there things that you need to bring before the Lord? Are there things that you need to bring to Him today? Are there areas in your life? Does your wick need to be trimmed? Are there things in your life? Are there sins? Because weights and sins, they do easily beset us. Things that we thought we were free from sometimes try to come back into our life. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Eddie, I want to make sure that I'm ready. If there is any doubt in your heart, if there is any doubt in your life. You see, I've made plans that this is going to be a four-part series, but I can't even promise you that because I'm not the one that holds tomorrow. This may be the last message that you hear. You and I are not promised tomorrow. We can leave here and draw our last breath or we can leave here today in the trumpet sound and we're out of here if we're right with God if we're ready all we got is today and if you say Pastor Eddie I want to know that I know that I know if, 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 if there is any doubt in your life I pray that before you leave this place today you will give your life not just a part of it but that you will give your life to God through his son Jesus Christ you can come to him no other way